Welcome to the Big Fundamental Podcast, the Kings 5 podcast on your San Antonio Spurs and NBA basketball. I'm Jackson Floyd. I'm Cameron Songer. And Cameron, we have so much to talk about today. We are in the midst of a wild NBA Summer League time. <laughs> now, really, we've got a lot to talk about, including Summer League, but really the big storyline is free agency. And we've got a special guest joining us today, Kins 5 sports anchor, evening sports anchor Evan Klosky will be here, breaking down all the free agency moves and what that means to the San Antonio Spurs. But before we get into that, let's address this real quick. We can finally close the book on the 2018-2019 NBA season. Now that we know who are the official award winners, 60 days, 70 days after the season ends, why are we just now figuring this out? Well, because the NBA wanted to have an award show and they wanted to get all their personalities together and put on a big show, the whole, first of all, I'm not a big fan of award shows in the first place. I think there are too many of them, and this is a classic example of there being just too many award shows. The voting for these awards happened right as the regular season ended. Since then, a whole bunch of stuff has happened. There's been massive injuries. An NBA champion has been decided. Uh, Free agency rumors at that point had been swirling and then became final after the fact. Uh, The draft was right around there and all that whole process. The lottery happened in between there. So, Even though the votes happened right after the regular season, they just sat on them for two months and then tallied them all up and then announced who won these awards. I think they got the awards right. I just just don't like the process that they unveiled those winners. I'm not a big fan of waiting this long just for an award show. There was something to the glitz and the glamour, seeing these NBA stars, these big personalities the league has on the red carpet. Uh, And that was kind of interesting to see. But I don't think anyone is going to remember this season as the Milwaukee Bucks regular season dominance. This is the season of Kawhi Leonard and the Toronto Raptors. Uh, And they weren't really represented at the awards. Of course, it's a regular season awards. And so they awarded the right regular season people. MVP went to Giannis Antetokounmpo, Rookie of the Year, Luka Doncic. Defensive Player of the Year was Rudy Gobert. Sixth Man, Blue Williams. Most Improved Player, he's a Raptor, Pascal Siakam. And then Coach of the Year went to uh, a former Spurs assistant coach, Mike Budenholzer. Uh, Like you said, yeah, they got the awards right here. Yeah, the one thing that they used to do before that they don't do now is that they let those would let those players have a moment during the playoffs, and almost all of those players and teams were involved in the playoffs, and you can give them the trophy and the accolades in a ceremony before the game or at halftime of a game or something like that, and you give them their moment. Uh, for the teams and players that are eliminated from the playoffs or aren't in the playoffs by the time the awards come out, then you have to hold a press conference, and it's just kind of a little bit weird, but... If I have to say one nice thing about the NBA award show, it gave us a great red carpet moment with 2 Chains and Bill Russell, which is an amazing combination. And if we keep getting moments like that, I can I could maybe make an argument for keeping the award show around. Otherwise, yeah. I'm hearing a sitcom spinoff there uh, starring the two. Um, yeah, I mean, it was almost more enjoyable to watch this award show from NBA Twitter or Instagram um, as opposed to on TNT. Um, an interesting stat from the awards show, as I mentioned, Antetokounmpo, MVP, Doncic, Rookie of the Year. It's the first time two players born outside the U.S. Um, have been given those awards since 2002 when Spurs' Tim Duncan won MVP and Pau Gasol won Rookie of the Year. Of course, they go on to be Spurs' teammates many years down the road, um, well into their, um, their twilight of their careers there. 
Yeah, it's a it's a good little footnote that it happened at the same time. Obviously, the game is growing a ton internationally, and the lines start to blur, I think, a little bit between who is a, a foreign-born player and who isn't. Remember, Steve Nash, technically a Canadian player who won two MVPs, uh, plenty, but during that time, the, the good rookies were Americans. And uh, Tim Duncan, you get you get the asterisk there. He he played for Team USA in the Olympics, uh, but was born in the uh, the Virgin Islands. So a foreign-born player. Uh, really, it's a great thing for the game that we have such good young talent in the NBA. Obviously, Antetokounmpo and Luka Doncic, two of the future faces of the league. Yeah, and Duncan, of course, suited up for that ill-fated 2004 Team USA, uh, who did not win a gold medal for their country. But on the other hand, so many gold medal winners are on the move here in free agency. Let's dive into all the actions that's happened with Evan Klosky during this free agency frenzy. All right, so Evan Klosky, Ken's 5 sports anchor and reporter, is joining us now to break down all of the frenzy, the mania that's been happening in the last uh, 72 hours with free agency here. How are you doing, Evan? I'm doing well. It's uh, It's been a wild ride the past 72 hours. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so Evan and I were both in the newsroom at 5 p.m. here this Sunday when free agency, the gates opened, and the <laughs> mm-hmm. flood of tweets from uh, ESPN's Adrian Wojnarowski and uh, the athletic Sham Serenia started coming mm-hmm. in about player movements. Um, it was pretty wild. Yeah, I mean, I feel bad for the, the three or four people in the newsroom that it's just like, yo, Jackson, this trade just happened. Yo, this just happened. Um, yeah, I mean, that's, it's so much fun. It's, it's really a pain when you're trying to produce a show, by the way, because <laughs> it's like you have, you have an idea of where it's going, and then, like, you know, the D'Angelo Russell thing happens at, like, 10.30 or 10.35. I'm like, ah. Crud! I got to put this in the late show now. <laughs> like, Squeeze I sneak- it in. Yeah, I was like, I just went out there. I was like, oh, he hasn't signed anywhere. Um, but man, I just you know, this was a wild one. It, it always, I feel like we say that every year. But I mean, a lot is changing again with the league. But at least this time, I think when you look at all the changes, the parity is back per se. I, I don't think there's an unbeatable team. Yet. yet if Kawhi goes to the Lakers we're gonna have some discussions but we'll see what happens there yeah we should say as we're recording this Kawhi remains uncertain there are reports that uh the Raptors are pitching him right now and mm-hmm. then uh, Drake will pitch right after that guess, <laughs> oh sweet that's important that's important with, that's with important. Two, two to three songs yeah add a tattoo or two so uh is there a move that stands out to you as this is the move that won the first 72 hours of free agency you know I, I mean, everyone's going to point to Kyrie and Durant and that whole move. And I'm very interested to see how the New York media is going to handle Brooklyn because they're not really going to be that good of a team next year. Like, they're not, they're probably going to be fifth, sixth in the East. I mean, you know, I, I still have like four teams ahead of them. You know, when Durant comes back the next year, we can have another conversation. And then we're going to have to talk about, oh, is he fully healed, all that stuff. But I really love what the Jazz did. I think the Jazz made the biggest splash and it wasn't necessarily on free agency day because you got to go back to the Conley deal but uh Conley Bogdanovich uh all these other you know like I think Ed Davis is on that mm-hmm. team as well just all these little things that they've done I mean they, including what Donovan Mitchell and, and Gobert I think they made the strongest improvements and I think they are sort of my team that were the the Raptors in a sense of entering next season of like, oh, here's like a sleeper team that normally doesn't make that deep run to win a championship, but they could do it next year. So Cameron Bojan Bogdanovic, Bojan Bogdanovic it's, was someone it's a tongue that, twister. It is a very tongue twister. <laughs> uh, was someone that was on the Spurs radar is uh, maybe they bring him in, kind of find a move, a way to make that salary. He goes to the Jazz. Yeah, I think the Jazz are a really good example of a team that had sort of the infrastructure in place 
to make those kinds of moves. You don't make those kinds of moves. You don't trade for Mike Conley at this point in his career unless you have your core already in place. And they have Donovan Mitchell. They have Rudy Gobert. So if you fill in around those guys, you have a sense of what your identity is. And I mean, we've seen other successful teams sort of follow that same blueprint, uh, Houston and Golden State in particular, with their superstar players, Curry, Harden, et cetera, et cetera. Really, at that point, it's a matter of finding guys that fit the and uh, fit the team and make the other players around them better in that system. Now, they added more than the subtract. They did lose Derek Favors, who's on his way to New Orleans. The Pelicans had an amazing, I guess, pre-free agency kind of off-season run here, uh, bringing in the Lakers, uh, young guns, Alonzo Ball, Brandon Ingram, uh, when losing Anthony Davis. Josh Hart as well. Josh Hart. Drafted Zion Williamson, drafted Jackson Hayes, and then they add Derek Favors, they add J.J. Redick in free agency. A lot of strong moves, bringing some, some veteran presence around these young guys there. I think there's a chance they're in the playoff conversation next year. I, you know, without trying to put too much pressure on Zion Williamson, because He's going to have plenty of pressure on him. Uh, you know, the comparisons to guys like Charles Barkley or LeBron James. It's really hard to lead a team as a rookie. But I think, again, you're talking about the infrastructure, the system in place that'll be around him. Hopefully will nurture him a little bit and protect him from some of the worst pressure. While it's pretty clear that he's the face of that franchise for the next you know, decade, probably. Yeah, and, and I do want to say that, I mean, the Pelicans are... Here's the thing about the Pelicans and their their offseason. I think they're like number two behind the Jazz of teams I'm impressed with what they did. Not necessarily for this year, but also the way that they built themselves for the future with picks and whatnot. Um, I'm also going to enter next season saying they're probably going to be the more one of the more overrated teams entering the season, and that's no you know shade to the people on that team. I think it's it's fairly ridiculous to have extreme expectations for a group that has been put together all new pieces I mean you ju- outside of Drew Holiday I mean like all these people never played together outside like you've had a clump play together with the Lakers you've had this other clump that's been brought in a kid that's coming out of college who we think is a freak and is going to perform well but I mean it's not like LeBron James took over year one with the Cavs when he came into the league very good but I still think there's going to have to be an adjustment for Zion when he gets into the NBA and the things that he did in college are not going to work as easily as they did in, in uh, the NBA. So, or, you know, vice versa, you get it. But um, regardless, I, I think the Pelicans did an amazing job. I, I still don't think they're a playoff team, but they're certainly uh, uh, an organization I'm scared of if I'm a Spurs fan for the future. Yeah, honestly, I really like the J.J. Redick move, bringing him in, and that's a guy who's never missed the playoffs. He's done a really good job as well um, identifying young teams that need a veteran locker room presence, mm-hmm. uh, going from the Clippers to the 76ers when Simmons and Embiid were on the rise there, and now coming to the Pelicans. That 76ers team, like you were talking about, teams who build on the fly, that's a team that hit the reset button early on into last year and kind of added new pieces in Jimmy Butler and Tobias Harris. Now Jimmy Butler is on his way to Miami, and they're rebuilding again. But, of course, I think they did a really strong job of kind of figuring some things out this free agency, bringing in Al Horford um, to kind of play a big man role there, um, getting Josh Richardson back uh, when losing Jimmy Butler, that's going to be a pretty dangerous team. They're huge. Yes. And I'm like, defensively, I'm so scared, but offensively, I'm like, eh. And they just committed, like, I, I think I made the comparison with the Ben Simmons deals, essentially what the Cowboys need to do with Dak. It's like, ah, you have weaknesses, but we kind of, like, need you long term. Yeah, that's your that, guy. So, yeah, like, you're ours, and we're going to roll with you no matter what. Like, 
I'm sorry, but Ben Simmons can't hit a jumper. Like he can't. You you like you just committed max dollars to someone who cannot hit a jumper and has attempted like zero threes. Like it's unbelievable. Uh, that's a problem on that team. Uh, I don't know where they are going to consistently score. Now, will the game? Will they need to score as much with that defense? I don't know. I mean, you know, Embiid's a freak, but uh, I I have question marks. I love what they did. I'm very intrigued, but I don't think it's a hundred percent like it's gonna work. I I, it, I need to see how it looks on the court. For well, sure, we just watched a guy who doesn't have much of a jump shot win MVP. Mm. So uh, I, if you can actually legitimately run Ben Simmons at point guard and everybody else on that team is a shooter, you kind of can let him orchestrate a little bit, space mm-hmm. the floor. Al Horford's a really good secondary playmaker when the ball is forced out of Simmons' hands. I also really like the fact that Horford. Uh, is sort of an insurance policy against Joel Embiid, who's mm-hmm. had trouble staying on the floor yeah. at times. Uh, the one thing about Horford on the flip side is that he's not getting any younger. He's not going to get any more fleet of foot. And yeah. if you're asking him to guard opposing fours as the rest of the league is getting smaller, that could become a, a, a lateral quickness and a speed issue. Yeah. That's, uh, and then those are great points. That's why, like with the Sixers, I love it. Uh, but I love it with an asterisk. It's like, let me see you 25, 30 games to the season. Obviously, they're a top-four team in the East. I just I, I don't know how they're going to look. Uh, another team I believe will be a top-four team in the East is the Indiana Pacers, mm-hmm. who um, did lose Bojan Bogdanovic, but were able to find another playmaker, a guy to bring on the floor next to Victor Oladipo, who will be returning healthy next season, uh, going out and getting Malcolm Brogdon and bringing him in, another mm-hmm. ball handler. Um, I think that's a strong move. They've, done a lot of, uh, they've brought in a lot of shooters, some guys who can create their own shots. T.J. Warren from the Phoenix Suns mm-hmm. is a guy I know Cameron has likes. Um, Jeremy Lamb is a guy there who can also create his own shot. And if they've got shooters surrounding their big men, their talented young big men, and Dominus Sabonis, a Gonzaga yeah. product, yeah. who I know Those you're familiar eggs. with, Those eggs. Uh, and Miles Turner, I think that's pretty dangerous team. Yeah, they're very good. I, I like the Pacers. I don't know what kind of punch they're going to provide once they hit the playoffs. I don't know what their ceiling is. But, yeah, they have good balance. You know, I think there's, I don't know. I kind of look at the Pacers in a similar light that I look at the, the Spurs entering next season where it's just like they look like a really good team. I, they're going to be in the playoffs, at least to my belief. It's much harder to do it in the West and the East. But um, I don't know what their ceiling is. That's my big concern with the Pacers. So that that's my biggest question mark with them entering the year. But mm-hmm. I, I still love the team. It's just, you know, other teams have bigger talents, much more uh, spread out uh, across the roster to give you a higher ceiling than what they have. For sure. I agree with you 100%. I think the only other thing to say about that team is that I was surprised that Darren Collison announced his retirement. Uh, mm. I think that's that's kind of a blow for them, a guy who's definitely brings that uh, locker room leadership. To me, that Pacers team, in terms of where their ceiling is, kind of reminds me a lot of the Celtics, another Eastern Conference team that should factor pretty prominently in the playoff picture, but probably isn't a championship contender or front runner mm-hmm. yeah with the the addition of Kemba Walker obviously that's huge when uh you're losing Kyrie Irving honestly I think losing Kyrie was addition by subtraction because it was I mean the that that blew up I mean even with like Kyrie going to the Nets I think you know with the rumors that the Knicks wanted them I, you know I think the Knicks read the tea leaves there that they weren't gonna be able to get Kyrie I think KD wanted to play with his friend and really didn't care I, I think he really did not care and we can get into a whole the whole back and forth between how that all unfolded. But, you know, I, I think that the limelight and being number one on a team really, I, I think it was too big for Kyrie. 
I think they are a team that is one move away, and I feel like we've said that so many times about this Celtics team. Are they really going to run Enos Cantor at the five? Is that a guy they can rely to be their starting center, or are they going to bring in one more player to do that? Mm-hmm. Um, but they are a dangerous team. I like Kimball Walker. I, I'm happy to see him go to a team that's really going to be competitive. Yeah. Um, he has, really hasn't had that chance in Charlotte. And they've got a lot of young talent there. We've done a lot Ooh. of talking about winners here, and you started harping a little bit on the Knicks here. <laughs> yeah. Maybe we transition to some losers of this playoffs. Uh-huh. And uh, honestly, I think the Knicks are, might be the biggest loser so far. Yeah, and, and for those who don't know, I'm I'm from New York. I'm a Knicks fan, and I say that loosely because it's been really tough. <laughs> um, but you know, here here's my thing. Here's my rational side and, and outlook of the Knicks offseason. First off. It was terrible that you're the New York Knicks and you weren't able to convince KD and Kyrie to come to town and keeping DeAndre Jordan. I don't know if DeAndre Jordan was like, yo, you do not want to be here. You know, <laughs> like, I really like that's a fear of mine that it's like, yo, no. Um, so that's a problem. James Dolan's a problem and he will forever be a problem as long as he's the owner. There's no way he's ever going to get back. And, you know, he, the fans hate him and I think he's done enough to prove why. But, um, you know, even beyond that, I think it was terrible PR to then go out and say, well, we weren't even going to offer him the max anyway. It's like you just tried to do like, well, you didn't want me, so we don't want you move. And that's never going to work in your favor. And then like 12 hours into free agency, by the way, while they're signing people, they're like apologizing to fans. <laughs> it's like, what are you doing? It's like just you keep stepping in in poo-poo. But it's like, <laughs> it just, but even beyond that, to then like take away all the obvious blunders that they did. The one thing I do like about the Knicks is that they didn't press. They didn't start offering max deals and terrible deals. They consolidated. They, they got young guys for two-year deals. Like even Julius Randle, who I really like. I mean, obviously, it's, you know, it's a really small consolation compared to what Knicks fans thought they were going to get in the offseason. But Randle's a great talent. You have a two-plus-one on him. So in 2021, when Giannis and Bradley Beal are going to come available, you're right back into the mix where other teams are kind of sunk in three plus one deals. You're one of the teams that's really built for a couple of big names uh, and can, you know, you can loosely start recruiting now. Now, whether that works out again, I mean, we were there last year and they traded Christoph Porzingis for nothing now, uh, who could have been someone of your future. But um, yeah, the the Knicks are now going to have two years where they'll get two great picks again in the future. They'll build with R.J. Barrett. They have Kevin Knox. Uh, Mitchell Robinson's a great talent, great young talent. Uh, and then you'll see with these two, two-year two guys. It's like training camp for two years. Yeah. Will any of them prove that they're worth another contract? So they'll win like 30 games. <laughs> cool. And what I, I mean, it just it is what it is. Yeah. To me, the surprising thing about what the Knicks are doing, and this is a kind of, I'll go on a little bit of a rant here, it's kind of a big fun pod kind of take, but the guys they're signing in free agency, they're really only signing like two kinds of guys. They're signing young point guards, yeah. and they're signing rebounding power forwards. Mm-hmm. And it just, it makes me wonder what the, whether there's like a galaxy brain here thing going on. <laughs> are they trying to corner the market on rebounding power forwards? You know, Taj Gibson, Julius Randle, or a couple others I, that I can't think of off the top of my head. But what if the strategy here is you just try to go get as many of those guys as possible. There's a finite supply of really good NBA quality, undersized rebounding power forwards, and the Knicks just go get all of them. And then a team midway through the season realizes we need a rebounding power forward, we have to call the Knicks, and the Knicks have a monopoly, they get to set the price. Taj Gibson will be traded for three first round picks. 
that's my crazy off the wall. Take. I don't know three first round picks, but I mean, like, I mean, I think that's worth considering because they're also like, they're like the super poor version of the Sixers. Like the Sixers got huge, and it's like, oh, that's scary. Like the Knicks got huge, and it was like, ah, uh, yeah. well, this is gonna be weird. We talk a lot on this podcast about zigging or zagging while other teams zig. Yeah. You know, everyone's going small this free agency, and the 76ers and the Knicks didn't. And I think mm. one team did maybe got bigger a little better. <laughs> And uh, yeah, the other team got little... bigger, and they're like, yeah, well. So, are we going to see you in a Nets jersey anytime soon? No, <laughs> no. I mean, it, look, and that's the funny part about all this stuff is that no matter what, and I think that's why it's such a shame that the Knicks are not good, because the Knicks are good for the league. But, like, if you win in Brooklyn, the headlines are going to be, um, you know, what do the Knicks have to do to get the championship? Or, like, oh, how the Knicks didn't win one. It's like, the, it's just. You're always going to be little brother, and and coming like from a Mets fan as well. You're always going to be little brother to the Yankees, and that's just the way it is. So, you know, I, that's why I kind of like, it's like, oh, you went to the Mets. It's yeah. like, come on, like that's, I feel like you know you you just didn't want that smoke. You just didn't you didn't want the pressure for sure. Um, let's transition over here to the Western Conference and the San Antonio Spurs. Um, <laughs> quiet players here in the free agency uh, period. They only had two roster spots going yeah. in. Used one to bring back Rudy Gay. Used another to go out and get a former net, uh, Damari Carroll, um, mm-hmm. who I think uh, will end up playing time at the four for this team. What do you think of those moves? Uh, I mean, here's the thing. I, I see a lot of people. I, I want to I want to clarify that the Spurs were able to spend more on Rudy Gay because of bird rights. Since he was on the team last year, they're able to offer him more. It's not like they could have utilized that extra money to get someone else. So I think getting Rudy Gay was important. It keeps with the continuity, uh, and that is something the Spurs have proven time and time again. They like building units and building off of last season, talking with all the players last year. And we heard ad nauseum. We were a new team. We were trying to figure each other out. Patty Mills, like this has never happened before in the organization for years and years. I mean, I go back to like David when you know when the admiral was here, and like th- that was like the starting point. They've been pretty consistent about building, and like Kawhi was supposed to be that bridge, and then it all exploded. But you know, I, I think it was important to get Rudy and, and Demar Carroll is, is solid. I, I um. Uh, you know, I was looking at the, the numbers a little bit. I, I think he's more of a three than a four and has played more of a three than a four. So are you sacrificing Lonnie minutes for Damari Carroll? But, uh, you know, maybe the Spurs are able to exemplify, exemplify some of his strengths that he has shown in the past. I'm worried about injuries with him. I'm worried about injuries about Lonnie, too. I'm worried about injuries with Rudy, too. You know, like, they're a super young group, the Spurs, but at the same time, they do have some injury concerns uh, from certain players. So um, I think with what the Spurs could have done in the offseason, I don't know if there was necessarily anything they were going to do that was going to be like, oh, that was terrible. I just think they did what they had to do. I, I think I agree with everything you said. My initial reaction to Damari Carroll is that it was maybe a little bit too much of an overlap. Jackson, I know you and I have talked about maybe the need to add one more big man. And when you go and get Rudy Gay, I think that was a necessary thing. I think that that was probably inevitable. But I think the rush to go follow it up by signing Damari Carroll right afterwards makes me wonder, would he have still been available two days later, three days later? And now there's this report coming out that there's some interest between the Spurs and DeMarcus Cousins. Mm -hmm. The problem being now the Spurs don't have a roster spot for him. Which, and this begs the question, um, do they love Metu enough to keep him? Because at this point they would have to waive somebody to bring them on, and Metu is obviously number 15, I think, objectively, if you're looking at the roster. So um, would you waive Metu, someone who you're trying to build for the future, for a year of boogie, 
Do you want to bring in everything that Boogie the brings in? I mean, it's no surprise that he's been trouble in a lot of places. Um, you know, relatively speaking, it seems like his stay in Golden State was fine. But notice, Golden State wasn't bringing him back. Exactly. They didn't even. There was not even a hint that they were bringing him back. Yeah, it was a that, one year. It was nice to have you here. We'll see. But, you, and yeah. that's confusing to me for a team that was sort of building the way they were that they wouldn't try to get him on the cheap. And, and there's no market for Boogie. So, like, he's not even going to get, like, a big one-year deal. Like, you know, I don't know if it's worth it, but, you know, if they don't love Metu, then maybe it is. We've uh, we've talked about this uh, a few times here on the podcast, but we do still feel very guard-heavy, and I think I'd rather try to trade one of those guards instead of getting rid of Metu if you're going to bring in Cousins. Maybe it's Bellinelli on the move. Maybe it's Mills. Again, mm-hmm. the, the, you're talking about continuity. Mills is the longest tenured Spurs here, so you're losing that if you try to trade him. So maybe Bellinelli is the guy to go. Um, a lot of people have been, uh, in response to this report, have been saying, I don't know if Pop wants to handle the whole Boogie Cousins thing. I mean, he's been an assistant coach for the U.S. Olympic team in 2016 when Cousins was there. They know each other. They've worked with each other before. If Pop doesn't want to do that, this move is going to happen, and Pop knows now through working with him whether or not he can uh, with an NBA team. Yeah, so. and speaking to your point about the guards, I think he would actually be more likely for the team to trade Davis mm. than the guards. I, I think everybody wants a guard to be traded. I see logistically why it makes sense. I mean, they are way too guard-heavy, and it's, people are going to be screaming at the TV when they see Marco Bellinelli go out there with three-pointers, fadeaways, and then he makes, like, two cool shots. It's like, oh, Marco! He's a poor man's Ginobili. So. It's like, yeah, I, that's a good way of putting it. And then, uh, but, but look at what the market has set for making these types of trades. Mm. I mean... Uh, Igudala required a first rounder. Very confusing on the first week. We thought it was like three first rounders, but it was one. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so Igudala, for his contract for one year at seventeen million, was a first rounder. Patty Mills for twelve and thirteen for two years. That's at least a first rounder, if not something else on top of that. So now you're sacrificing assets to get rid of your, you know, a person that Pop really, really loves. I mean. You know, I heard this once, and I think it stands true that Patty Mills is under a Mother Teresa contract. But he, I mean, you talked to all those players. They love Patty. Mm-hmm. And I think there is something to it. Is he worth that much? No, he's not. With the talent you see on the floor, absolutely not. But the Spurs see value in him, and that's the way that it is. With Marco and the market that's set, I mean, you if you can trade Marco in a second rounder, that's wonderful. I'm, af- I'm afraid of what else is going to have to be put in that deal. Mm-hmm. I just... That's why I think Bertans actually fits elsewhere with other I think other teams are really intrigued by a sharp shooting four that the Spurs tried to play at five at times. Like it just I think he might have more appeal. Definitely. Yeah. He is seems to be more of a skill set for the future, the way the NBA is trending right now. Yeah, I, and I mentioned in another pod uh, earlier, Jackson, uh, but I think Derek Whitestock is probably never going to be higher. Uh, if you want to talk about maybe a guy that you wouldn't have to give up as much as many other future assets to get rid of, I know it would break a lot of Spurs fans' hearts, mm-hmm. but just open up that roster spot. I'm sure there are other teams that are interested in a guy like Derek White or possibly Bryn Forbes. But what my thing is, if you're the let's, – let's go into the mind of R.C. Buford – and you're San Antonio, uh, you're not a destination spot for free agents. The only guy you really have gotten is LaMarcus Aldridge. Uh, and not to mention, I mean, it's unfair for Aldridge because he came here with Kawhi there, and then all of a sudden things kind of blew up in his face. So, you know, I, I want to say loosely the Spurs didn't really get him what he wanted, which was a championship, and that's what he thought coming down here. Um, you don't bring in marquee free agents, and now you just – developed a guy, Derek White, who has shown amazing promise uh, in year one. If he 
if he's able to develop a jump shot and a three-pointer, which we saw in streaks last year, uh, he is deadly. I think the bigger question is, because the clock's ticking, is what do you do with DeJounte? What does an extension look like? How long do you wait? And do you not offer him the extension and ride it out this year to see what he's doing? Because you're talking about value being high with Derek. I'm talking about value being low with DeJounte and the possible extension. But his his agent's Rich Paul, and I know that he's not going <laughs> to He's not gonna, you know, take a, a week off. Or I, they believe in Dejounte. I know the Spurs do. It, it, that's to me. That's like the showdown. Like, what are you gonna do? Who's gonna budge? Because I think we're all very high on Dejounte, but coming off an injury, we need to see it. That was kind of the Warriors' methodology. There, you got Curry coming off the injury. He got a smaller contract than maybe you think, oh, you look back now, oh, maybe he could have gotten a max then. But there was all the injury concerns. And that gives them room to make other moves, to sign other people, bring in a guy like Iguodala um, to help them off the bench there. And then also, you know, down the line there, you get Durant. You get these very valuable contracts. I'm not saying DeJounte Murray is Steph Curry by any chance, but a valuable contract for a guy who might overplay that would be very um, uh, kind of an interesting move for the Spurs to make. Yeah, the next summer is going to be really interesting for the Spurs in terms of what expires at the end of this upcoming season. Jante Murray, Jakob Pertl are uh, restricted free agents at the end of this upcoming season, but these uh, the following guys will come off the books. DeMar Rosen can opt out. Davis Berton's contract is up. Marco Bellinelli, Bryn Forbes. Uh, this is going to be a very different team. We're talking about a lot of cap space next summer, potentially. And, and I will say this with Bryn Forbes, and you talk about trading him, I have a feeling, like originally I was like, oh, trade, trade high on Bryn Forbes, but then the other side of me with a team that worries about cap and the way that this is all built up, you have bird rights on him, why deal a guy that you can at least pay a little extra over the cap and not have it hurt you? So I, 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 I lean more like as the season went on, being like, okay, I, I think they're going to keep Forbes. My gut is DeMar's out. And now the, the question is also of, you know, I, they still can trade him. I still debate that, whether they're saying, you know, this year of DeMar is worth not getting assets in the future for DeMar because – I just find it highly unlikely they're gonna they're gonna keep Demar because to keep him you're gonna have to give him a huge contract. He is the after Anthony Davis signs back with the Lakers, which we all assume he is the guy. Which mm-hmm. is, I mean, no shade to Demar. It's just it's that's sad that he's probably the number one guy. But you know, for teams to have caps and want to make moves, they're you know they're gonna look to a guy like that. Like maybe the Mavericks go for Demar and pay up, be like to pair up with the other two that they got there. So I, I just. Uh, that's an interesting debate. So based on the current roster construction then, how do you see this Spurs team uh, faring uh, in the 2019-2020 season? So, you know, I I think with all the shuffling, we kind of take for granted teams that are able to stay together. Look at the Denver Nuggets. Super quiet offseason. Why they have to, they didn't have to make a big splash. I mean, their team was great last year and they're going to keep building. I think the Spurs are still a playoff team. You know, if the Clippers do not get Kawhi, they're done. They're toast. They're not making the playoffs. Uh, you know, talking about teams that were out of the playoffs last year, you figure the Lakers are going to be in this year. That's that someone's got to drop. I I wonder about the Thunder. You know, I mean, Westbrook took took some pretty big steps back shooting. I uh, my thing is, you know, projection wise, I've been seeing on Twitter they're about like a forty four win team with Pop and company being as smart as they are. I put them at like forty six, forty seven, but. Uh, the Spurs this year, as long as no one gets injured, are significantly stronger because of the defense based on the team last year. So you figured if the team last year got 48, why can't the team 
this year get 48 or more, but the West is so much stronger. Like, it's going to be so much fun to watch. Like, the parity in that league, like, outside of, like, the Suns and the Grizzlies is insane. Yeah, we didn't even mention the Sacramento Kings, who and were it, yeah. knocking on the door and sort of faded late this past season. Spurs but went 0-3 against them last year. They're good. Yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah, I, I can see how this would be a league, or a, a conference where nine teams, ten teams finish in that window of 48 to 52 wins. Um, there's going to be a lot of battles uh, in this Western Conference there. Um, I do think the Spurs had a great run at home last year. They only lost, what, three games at home last year, if that. I mean, if we, they can do that again, repeat that again, they've got to get better on the road, but that's a team that could, yeah, break that 45-win threshold that that's, people are predicting. That's a big question mark, is how they can improve on the road, because they're one of the best teams in the West at home, but I mean, that rodeo road trip still haunts me. That was dangerous. It was really bad. <laughs> I do want to quickly just throw in there, like the Houston Rockets, like what are they going to look like? I mean, in a team that probably with the Lakers blowing up, and they, they look great. I mean, the, sorry, the Warriors blowing up, and they look great, and they're going to compete for a championship again thanks to the moves they made. But, like, they just look like they're crumbling internally. Mm-hmm. Is that going to show on the court next year? I mean, those are my questions. Like, it's been a mess of an offseason for the Rockets, and they haven't even done anything. Like on the the court, you look you still look the same team, but like, are you just gonna like brawl at some point? Right, it's a team in turmoil. They wiped the slate on a lot of their assistant coaches. There, a lot of infighting between uh, Daryl Morey, between um, Mike D'Antoni, and between the owner there. Yeah, a lot of inner, inner turmoil for a team that's talented on the court, but yeah, hasn't gotten over that hump there. Um, made a finals appearance in their run, but uh, yeah. Any final thoughts here on this uh, Western Conference? Yeah, I'm just really interested to see where the Spurs' uh, young guys fit in. And we talked about how much the Spurs improved. Uh, we, we did that live draft podcast. But the the young guys that we've seen, will there be a role for them? And if there is, I think that could really be something that takes them over the hump. And if not, maybe it could hold them back a little bit because the Spurs do have this tendency of holding their young guys back in Austin mm-hmm. for another year while other teams are letting their rookies get NBA run maybe a little bit more, but then also at the expense of some... Uh, uh, seasoning in the G League. So I think other teams are maybe sacrificing some future production from their young guys to get that right away injection, and the Spurs play the long game. Yeah, and, and that's what the Spurs are always going to do, and it's hard to argue against a formula because they, time in and time out, they have, I mean, look at Bryn Forbes. That Bryn Forbes should not be as good as he is. Like, <laughs> I'm sorry, he should not. And what they did with him this year, and I mean, I don't know what this team would have done without Bryn Forbes. He played 81 games. Uh, just him and Patty were constantly out there. You know, my final thoughts are Spurs fans, the, the cap was was tight, and you were never going into this offseason making big waves. Time in and time out, the Spurs never make big waves, and time in and time out, they're always in the playoffs. I don't know what their ceiling is. I don't know if they're going to win a championship. You know, I would argue they're probably not. Um, but... They are building something really nice, and I'm really more concerned about the, how DeJounte looks on the court. I want to see Lonnie get more time, and then also I want to see Derek White make strides. I think this is a bridge year while they'll still make the postseason, but I think they're, they're building for, for years to come. Yeah, and as they navigate this Wild West, we'll bring you back, Evan, to the podcast. Mm-hmm. And we'll discuss all the, the kind of the moves the Spurs make and how they're faring in this West here. Yeah, and also, you know, we got another week at the Summer League, which is fun to watch and to see guys like uh, Weatherspoon, Kelvin Johnson, uh, Lucas Shamanich, um, which is going to be a mess to say. I hate that, <laughs> that they added that shot in there. Um, but, yeah, I mean, you know, 
that's going to be fun to, to watch and, and to see some of these young guys go. Definitely. Awesome. And Evan, thank you so much for joining mm-hmm. us. Thanks, yeah, Evan. I appreciate it. Thank you. All right, so many thanks to Evan Klosky for joining us today and breaking down all of the free agency frenzy and how the Spurs kind of fall into that mix there. So Cameron, I just want to transition here. Uh, I've been a little bit worried about you. You've uh, had your head buried in uh, Summer League here for the last few days. Hey, the games have been actually pretty compelling. Uh, the, the Spurs have really gotten some of their young guys a, a lot of run in the first two games. We're recording this here on Wednesday uh, morning, morning, afternoon. Uh, they'll play one more game in Salt Lake City tonight before uh, taking the 4th of July weekend and then heading over to uh, Las Vegas for the, the main Summer League. But it's been fun to watch. Uh, really didn't get to see that much of Lonnie Walker last season. Unless you were a, a big college hoops fan, you probably didn't watch too much of Keldon Johnson. But those guys uh, in their respective nights, Monday and Tuesday nights, got the got the spotlight. Yeah, Keldon Johnson put on a show Tuesday night. 29 points, all on, uh, as you pointed out earlier to me uh, before we started recording, all on four dribbles. Yeah, shout out to uh, Tom Petrini for that stat. 17 shots, so really efficient, uh, really efficient night. It's an encouraging sign for Spurs fans who are hoping to maybe see Johnson in the mix pretty early on, that he's going to be a guy who can get buckets without requiring the ball in his hands a lot. A lot of guys, you'll see, they can be good scorers if they have a lot of time to dribble and sort of you know feel their way out. Maybe they miss their first two shots, but they've had a couple. No, that's not going to be Johnson's game. He's going to spot up. He's going to find his way to putbacks. And I, I think that should translate pretty easily to the NBA game. I mean, obviously, the summer league game is a big difference uh, just in the quality of play, but I, I, I like what I saw so far. Uh, he had he had the big highlight of the game too with that half court heave that uh, went in at the end of the third quarter as the buzzer was uh, ending. I've been really impressed with him. I think another guy he'll play less of a role in the Spurs this season, but Quindary Weatherspoon has a pro shot. That guy uh, he he can make some buckets there. Uh, Luka Shamanic has shown that he has a well-rounded game. He's kind of showing off a little things there. Still very raw, but you're, that's kind of expected from 19-year-old. He's 19, yeah. Uh, showed a little bit of everything, especially in the uh, the second game against Memphis. Put the ball on the deck a little bit, was able to elevate, uh, had a really nice block shot, had the ball stolen from him a couple times when he tried to dribble, but I'd rather see a guy try, especially in summer league, rather see a guy try to do that, and then once you are in either G League or NBA games, you sort of pull that back a little bit until he's more comfortable with it. But the fact that he's willing to try it now in Summer League has that free reign a little bit, really a good sign. And uh, again, he's 19. He's going to fill out a little bit more. He's kind of on the skinny end right now, but I mean, I think a lot of guys at 19 are and were. Yeah, so I mean, Keldon Johnson, Luka Shamanich, Quindary Weatherspoon, those are the guys from this year's draft. Has anyone from Spurs drafts passed or anyone who's on this team trying to make a roster anywhere else uh, stood out to you? Yeah, uh, obviously Lonnie Walker had the big night the the first game. He did not play on Tuesday. We're expecting him to play on Wednesday. Uh, the other guy who's really jumped out to me also had the Lonnie Walker treatment uh, is uh, Drew Eubanks, who mm-hmm. played Monday, had Tuesday night off. Just a high-energy big man. The Spurs had him on a two-way contract this past season, and he played, I think, a dozen or so games in San Antonio uh, this past season. If you if the name doesn't really ring a bell, that's that's okay. He was kind of the end of the bench uh, when the Spurs needed just a little bit more depth on that two-way contract. Again, the two-way contract, you get 45 days with the NBA team and the rest of the time you spend in the G League. Mm-hmm. Uh, each team can have two of those guys per season. We're expecting right now that uh, Quindary Weatherspoon is going to get one of those contracts. You're allowed to do that with your second-round picks. And uh, Eubanks was on one last season. I'm, I'm hoping the Spurs keep him around for another year. I, I think there's a chance that if they don't keep him under a little bit better wraps, a team will come in and offer him an actual uh, bona fide contract, you know, for the uh, for the full season or even a partial guarantee. Uh, the 
I was talking with Evan a little bit on Twitter earlier in the week. He has to work on a little bit more of pacing himself because he kind of just comes out and is going 110 miles an hour. Uh, but when he's going like that, he's he's a really good shot blocker, a uh, very effective rebounder, and an efficient scorer right near the rim. Doesn't have too much of a... Uh, he's not going to shoot the three, but can sort of stretch the floor a little bit, has a decent touch from the free throw line, a very modern big. Yeah, he's uh, also a member of the Coffee Gang, too, which is a, a very important uh, piece of the, the organization as well. Um, I, he's a guy, yeah, like you mentioned, a, a lot of people come into the, at least the first game of the Utah Summer League is thinking, you know, this is a warm-up, let's get into shape. Let's. He came in on fire. Um, and, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what kind of play. He only played in that first game. Interesting to see what he does tonight. Interesting to see what he does in the Las Vegas Summer League. Yeah, it'd be great to kind of keep him around, uh, but I'm sure another team might try to poach him. Yeah, a couple other guys on the uh, Spurs Summer League roster who are not on the uh, not on the Spurs main roster and are not two-way guys. So, as we were talking about, without the uh, the open roster spots, really, there are about 15, 12 to 15 other guys in the Spurs rotation who are with the Summer League team and probably aren't going to be members of the San Antonio Spurs at any point in the 2019-2020 season, but they're trying out for all 29 other NBA teams, all the G League teams, potentially the Austin Spurs, and uh, teams all over the world. Uh, Josh Majette uh, has been running the point guard. He's the only point guard, right? He's basically the only point guard, yeah. We've seen some struggles. The Spurs uh, in the Summer League through two games have really struggled when he's been off the floor. He's an experienced guy. He's 28 or 29, Mm -hmm. uh, played four years in D2, might have actually been a five-year guy, kind of uh, has been a late bloomer, uh, came into the NBA, played uh, fewer than 20 games a season ago, spent last season overseas, but just a guy who can run a team, uh, could potentially get another look at a two-way contract. He was with the, the Hawks on a two-way contract uh, in 2017-2018, but I like what I've seen from him. Uh, Darius Morris, a guy getting another chance, uh, an NBA vet uh, who's been with the Spurs this summer, He's a guy who I think a lot of playoff teams would like to add on a minimum salary, potentially just bring him in and and have that locker room chemistry. And then uh, Thomas Robinson, who is a a former uh, lottery pick who's sort of bounced around. You hate to use the word bust, but it's it's been a struggle at times with him, even in this Spurs system. He's a guy who played 313 career NBA games, attempted six three-pointers in his... Again, he came out in 2012, so it was a slightly different time for big men. And he's already attempted two or three threes this summer and hasn't made him and hasn't looked that good shooting them. So, uh, you know, you want to you want to see the best for him. But he's been pressing a little bit of times in Utah. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I guess that kind of goes into trying to expand your game for kind of the way big men in the NBA are trending towards playing now, uh, spacing the floor, spreading out to that three point line. Uh, yeah, this is the time to do that stuff in the summer league before you transition into what could be you know, the NBA season if he makes a team, makes a roster. Uh, and speaking of the NBA season, there has been reports that um, the NBA might shorten this season, talk fewer games of regular season games, uh, which makes room for an in-season tournament event. I think people have been tossing around the Commissioner's Cup as maybe a a name for this kind of mid-season tournament. Yeah, it's something that if you just follow American sports, the NBA, NFL, MLB, it's a kind of a foreign concept, but it's a very common feature in European soccer where there will be a a domestic cup or some other sort of just in-season tournament. They basically pause the regular season and then do a mid-season bracket. And it's a a real point of pride. It's a chance to win another trophy uh, for the really elite teams in their European leagues. It's almost a failure of a season if they don't win both. Uh, And for some of the teams that are sort of competitive but maybe can't sustain the full run all the way through the regular season. It's a chance to kind of sneak in and win a trophy that year. If you're a uh, 
your competitor, but maybe aren't going to be able to sustain that through. It's it's a kind of thing for in the NBA, maybe a team that's a perennial conference finalist, sort of conference semifinalist, but can't quite put the things together to win four straight seven game series. Quick little in season tournament, bring home a trophy, and you can call that season a success. Yeah, it's interesting. I'm all about shortening the regular season. As we talked about with the awards, no one is remembering this season as the year of the Milwaukee Bucks, the year of Giannis's rise. There's a little bit of that talk, but man, the postseason capped this off as the year of Kawhi. So if you, I mean, 82 is a um, an endurance test for a lot of these players. And I mean, if you look at how Kawhi played this season, he made it into 65 games, 62 games. They're doing the load management thing. Anything you can do to kind of lessen the strain on an NBA body is a uh, is a good thing, I think. There's a couple of different uh, interesting ways you do this. One um, one interesting thing I think you could do is if you um, kind of treat it as a as a as a break, a, a breath of air, almost like an All Star weekend. Make it a week long thing where maybe you don't focus on the big stars, the known teams, the teams we just saw in the playoffs. Let's get the 15, 16 teams that didn't make the playoffs last year. Do a tournament of the other guys, you know, do an other guys tournament. Uh, that'd be pretty interesting to see this year. I mean, you'd have teams who spent the free agency rebuilding, rebuilding these rosters. Uh, the Pelicans, you show off your new rookies coming in, these lottery picks in a tournament like that. If you, this year, you'd have Zion Williams in a tournament, well, Zion Williamson in a tournament, which would be a big selling point. Uh, that might be an interesting way. Is, is there an interesting proposal you might uh, present for in a midseason tournament? Yeah, I like that idea. The, 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 the big thing about trying to put this tournament together is you need both the players and the front offices to buy in. You need them to believe this is something that's worth competing for. If it's just kind of like, oh, hey, here's a trophy and the keep your main rosters, they're just going to think of it as this is our chance to rest our starters for a week and then come back and rejoin the regular season. And if we happen to win a couple games, great. What you need when you're putting something like this together is for it to mean something to the players. Mm-hmm. So I think, and to the, both the players and to the coaching staffs, I think. So the way to make it to make it meaningful for the players is, you know, put a cash prize at the end. You know, it's the players already have a ton of incentives in their contracts. The players will play. You know, you're playing for a, a big check at the end. I think that's pretty straightforward. What I think is more interesting is how can you make the front offices want to not rest their players. Mm-hmm. And I think the way to do this is twofold. I think you need to do two tournaments. Uh, one is for the teams that are in the bottom half of the league at the time. So you make that decision. Let's say it's around the All-Star break. There's not a ton of moving around between February and April. The teams that are good are the teams that are good. The teams that are bad are the teams that are bad. The bottom half teams are competing for a draft. It's a draft order. If you win the tournament, you win the number one pick. That completely eliminates tanking. It completely eliminates any desire to have one of the bottom whatever records to guarantee yourself a top whatever pick because now it's decided by is our team good enough to win against other teams that are probably going to miss the playoffs Mm -hmm. for the top half of the league it's a little bit trickier because you can't you still want to make the regular season mean something so you can't say okay this is for home court in the playoffs i think one way you could do it is to sort of play with the luxury tax or the salary cap rules give those teams that win a little bit of a sweetener give them a little bit maybe more freedom to go out and build other teams and you could the counter argument I, I can see is well now you're just encouraging a super team you're uh, if this was in place the last three years the Warriors would have been able to keep going and getting more players fine that's it people watch people want to see that uh, in going back to all the drama around Kawhi Leonard 
some people are saying it's bad for the league. No one really wants the NBA to have total parity. I, I think that's one thing about the N- that makes the NFL and the NBA so different and so wonderful and unique is that in the NFL, there's a sense that any team can beat any other team with maybe a couple exceptions every every few years. Cough, cough, Cleveland, cough, cough. <laughs> um, but in the NBA, you sort of know going into just about any game who's probably going to win, and that's okay. That's That's its thing. So, yeah, I I like the idea of encouraging top-heavy teams to stay top-heavy and keep their superstars and continue to make themselves have quality around them while giving those superstars a chance to perform on a big stage like a midseason tournament. Yeah, I I think we're both kind of all for it. Uh, kind of both for uh, doing something like this, trying something out. And there's, yeah, I, I like those proposals. I think there's a f- few different way, other ways they could take it. I got one more proposal for you before we move on. You do a mid-season tournament, all the teams, but everyone rests their max, max guys. So you're playing with the tier two. You know, your max guy is not going to go out in a mid-season game, and mid-season tournament and get injured. He's rested. But then you get teams where, you know, your max guys might be worse than the other team's max guys, but your your lower to your lesser paid guys might be better. That might be an interesting way to do it. Showcase some other people too than the 15, 16 best superstars in the league. I really like that because it also adds a layer of strategy to contract negotiations where if you have a guy who's a real competitor, can you get him to sign for less than the max so that he's still eligible for that midseason tournament? There you go. Be the, the face of that tournament, <laughs> if you will. Man. That, that's a good one. Um, one other, this is another big fun option. Uh, if they're not going to do a midseason tournament and you're keeping the regular season at 82 games, which I think a lot more owners are going to be in favor of, mm-hmm. let's see something where there is a cap on the number of games a player can play in the regular season. Oh, yeah. Basically enforce load management. Uh, and that number could be 66. It could be 72 and there's then there becomes an element of strategy and, and the spurs had started doing this and sort of became the front the pioneers of this uh, strategy at the very end of the big three era where they looked at certain games and said yeah that other team is at full strength we're coming off a rough road trip we're just going to rest our guys uh let teams sort of make some ideas and start to mix and match a little bit i think that becomes something that would be interesting with these big three kind of super teams where how much do you want to let those guys overlap or can you keep two out of three which two out of three uh, especially if this is a lakers team that ends up having Kawhi, lebron and anthony davis there's a lot of overlap there those are all forwards and you know uh, anthony davis will play some time at center but you almost reduce that problem if you say well a big chunk of their games or at least maybe a third of their games they have to be resting at least one guy I, I like that a lot. Um, and yeah, like you mentioned, the Spurs kind of pioneered this. I think the Raptors perfected it with Kawhi last year. And you're already going to see a lot of people doing this next year. I imagine the 76ers are going to do a load management thing between Embiid and Horford, kind of split the time there between those two guys. There might be some some whining about, oh, you want to see your superstars in the games. If you pay money to, to go to a game, you're hoping to see the, the best guys play. But at the same time, too, this helps the competitiveness in the playoffs, you know? It was a bummer, This play, these finals. It was a great finals. It was a bummer not to have Kevin Durant out there. It was a bummer to see Klay Thompson go down. I don't know if load management changes that, but I think it definitely helps kind of stymie some of those injuries or stymie some of the injuries you have going into playoffs. And there's things you can do also with saying, okay, well, this is a marquee game versus this is not a marquee game. In other words, if the Lakers are playing against the Phoenix Suns on a Tuesday, you're allowed to rest your big players. Mm. But if they're, if they're playing against... You know the Milwaukee Bucks, and you can have a Giannis-LeBron matchup on a Saturday primetime. 
you're not allowed, you know, if he's actually injured, he can, you know, he can sit out, but we would really strongly prefer that you play your best players on the, the big stages. Yeah, I think, I mean, yeah, that's, it'd be interesting to see if they consider something like that. Yeah, so in now talking about sort of our crazy ideas for something that makes the game better to something that they're actually going to do to make the game better, and uh, that's this uh, this discussion of uh, coaches' challenges. I like this a lot. Um, I think these coaches are already out there yelling at the refs, trying to get trying to get sway the opinion of the refs there. Uh, and there are definitely calls that are missed that the coaches have a fair point in arguing. So giving them kind of a voice here. Um, the details of this, if I'm getting this right, each coach gets one challenge per game. It must be a time, they must have a timeout. Mm-hmm. Uh, if not, they, they lose the timeout if unsuccessful. And it's only called infractions that can be challenged. Yeah, so there has to be a whistle. They can't say, that should have been goaltending, but you didn't blow the whistle. It sounds a lot like the NFL challenge yeah, program. Yeah, it's it's very similar. Uh, I think we'll see it a lot in the last two minutes of games. I think we'll also, this is a, a little sort of strategy thing, we'll actually see it a lot more in the final five minutes of games before that three-minute mark. Mm. Because the, the rule around NBA timeouts now is at the three-minute mark, no matter how many timeouts you had left, you're down to two timeouts after three minutes. So coaches, especially, we actually saw Nick Nurse that almost came back to bite him in the in the NBA Finals. Exactly, that's what uh, I was thinking. Look at it as a use it or lose it timeout. Now you can kind of hold that and say, well, we're going to lose this timeout anyway. There's a play that I want them to go take a look at. Let's have them take a look at it. And maybe it doesn't actually impact the pace of the game, the flow of the game that much. That's the big concern. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it'd be, uh, they're rolling it out this year, is that correct? Is yeah, the, yeah, this is the first year of this. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how that unfolds. I know Coach Pop will uh, be uh, holding on to that. and uh, He's someone who uh, is, is very ornery with officials from time to time, so he might uh, enjoy having a challenge. I, I'm, I also would love to see him challenge one in the first quarter because he's, Coach Pop is also <laughs> the kind of coach who occasionally will call a timeout very early in the game when things aren't going the Spurs way and everyone will look around and say, did he really just call timeout? But it's it's really fun to watch, uh, just to just to kind of mess with the expectation, especially in a game. And there will be games this year where the Spurs are, are underdogs, and you have to try to get that little mental edge. Yeah. And whatever you can do to sort of subvert the expectation of this is how the game is going to go, it will play into your team's favor. So Cameron, I have to share with you something that is driving me batty right now. Um, free agency is within its fourth day here. It started Sunday at 6 p.m. And that's when the window opens for players to talk to teams, to discuss where they'd like to go, maybe take uh, meetings with multiple teams. This year, though, we saw it starts at 6. At 6 and 10 seconds, the first tweet goes out. Kevin Durant has signed with the Nets. And then you get Kyrie Irving has signed with the Nets as well. And they've both negotiated their deals to bring in DeAndre Jordan, someone that Kevin Durant has wanted to play along and was kind of this factor in signing there. And it's like, how are they working all this out in 10 seconds? They're clearly not. They're clearly talking to the teams before that window opens. And that's against the rules. That's called tampering, Um, which I'm all for. I'm all for tampering. If that's against the rules, it made for an exciting free agency period. The gates opened and right out of the gates, we had players going everywhere. We had trades going. I felt like um, Charlie Day and It's Always Sunny, you know, following Pepe Silvia, red string across my uh, corkboard here um, trying to figure out what was going on Um, so I don't think tampering needs to be uh, an issue here with the NBA Uh, I think they should let people tamper there is one superstar though following the rules and that is 
the infamous Kawhi Leonard. What it do, baby? Oh, man, he is enjoying the moment. I'm, I don't think it's him making the moment, savoring the savoring all of this going on. I really think, um, yeah, like he's doing this due diligence. He's at 6 p.m., called the teams, set the meetings. He's met with a handful of teams. He's meeting with the Raptors last. Apparently, that's today. I think Drake is actually squeezed in on the last meeting here uh, doing a song and dance. So, yeah, he's the one guy following the rules, and it's driving NBA Twitter, it's driving NBA fans, NBA Reddit crazy. They need to know where Kawhi is going because that's going to change the landscape of the league. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's hard for San Antonio fans to keep hearing about Kawhi Leonard, but he is the story of the NBA right now uh, as he remains unsigned heading into uh, the July 4th holiday weekend. What's driving me batty, this is a little bit lighter and it's very San Antonio-centric, it's, I, it's sort of a preemptive what's driving me batty because I know this upcoming season is going to be really difficult for everyone in the media who writes about the Spurs, writes tweets, stories. Uh, DeMar DeRozan, Damari Carroll, LaMarcus Aldridge, that's a lot of guys who have the, uh, the capital letter in the middle of their name. We're really going to get that, uh, that shift key, a little bit of a workout, and uh, there will be typos. My autocorrect is going to hate me for a little while. Uh, on the flip side of that, though, the Spurs hair game with that addition of Damari Carroll is now on point. Damari Carroll has great hair. He joins Lonnie Walker and his underrated Patty Mills hairdo. Yeah, Patty Mills is a very underrated uh, hairstyle master. Uh, he, he'll switch it up midseason on you, too. He'll go from mohawk to the dreaded look. to the he, He's kind of rocked like the, the chin-length kind of dreadlock look. Right now, he's got more of a braided dread thing going on, shoulder length. Um, but yeah, no, it, this is a this is a great hair team. Um, I, I think maybe Derek White kind of could squeeze in yeah, a oh, bit definitely. with the, the really far back receded hairline look. I think he's he, rocking he has there. he has the back version of what Alfred Payton does. <laughs> Basically, it's, it's the Lego hairstyle where you turn it around the other way and then you get Alfred Payton's yeah, hair for a little is, while. Is Alfred Payton like the the goat hair man in the NBA here? Uh, I, I always like a really good afro, so Jarrett Allen is up there. Mm. Un- unfortunately, Kawhi Leonard gets a, a, a shout-out there. Yeah, for, he, he brought uh, the cornrows back. The cornrows back. There's a handful of other guys who now who now do the cornrows. Andrew Jordan, Andrew uh, Wiggins. Yeah, I'm trying to think. Let us know who has, who you think has the best hair in the NBA. Uh, send us a tweet uh, at Big Fun, Big Fun Pod, uh, at Cameron Songer, at Jackson Kens 5 there's some real. There's some good hair in the NBA. There's some great hair in the NBA. Yeah, you're not. You're not wrong there. Uh, but before things get too hairy, let's uh, let's stop it there on the podcast. Thank you guys so much for listening this far into it. As we get way too into the big fun here, uh, rate us five stars wherever you may be listening. Thanks again to Evan Klosky for joining us. We'll be looking forward to having him back as the off season progresses into the regular season, and uh, be on the lookout for other Kins Five Sports personalities joining us here in the future. Also, want to give a shout out to uh, the Play of the Game podcast. They gave us a shout out recently, so we want to uh, return the favor. Thanks, guys. Yeah, Kyle Menke and Larry Leathers are your go to guys for San Antonio soccer and just all sorts of fun things. Uh, great podcast they do there, and some, some really good guys there, too. Yeah, so again, thanks for listening. Have a wonderful and safe Fourth of July weekend, and we'll be back with you pretty soon. See you next time.